0: Hello, and welcome to the Reorient podcast, the show about international issues and international people with an Asian twist. My name is Jesse Friedlander, and I'm Madhavi Peters, also known as The Tropicalist. Today is the 4th of May, and I'm very pleased to be here with Jean Lim, who is an expert in a way, or is a leader in a way, in a very interesting and new area of ethics, psychology, technology, robotics, artificial intelligence, and probably some other things. And we're going to touch on some of all of those. Um, So really pleased to have uh, Jean Lynn here. Uh, Just as a quick introduction, um, she has a background in psychology uh, from the University of California. And she's worked for um, a few decades in the space of um, in Asian and primarily in technology, um, as well as different business related, and is well known as being the CEO of, uh, of Hanson Robotics, which is the creator of the famous Sophia Robot, which many you many of you may have seen, who's traveled the world in wild audiences as. Sophia, who identifies as female, so we'll call her uh, a she, as she um, interacts with audiences in uh, almost sometimes a conversational manner. And I believe also has um, been uh, granted citizenship uh, in at least one country, if not more, and um, is really pushing the frontier in um, the idea of, of interactive robotics and then uh, as a the last bit of introduction, uh, Jean has now started her own company, uh, which is called Being AI, uh, which we'll discuss as well. So with that brief introduction, welcome Jean Lim.
1: Thank you, Jess, for that introduction, and I'm really glad to be here, and thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, it's a real pleasure for us. So um, Jean, I, I did give a brief introduction to you, but... It would be really nice to hear from your perspective a little bit about your journey okay. uh, from sort of childhood. <laughs> Just the key points, you don't have to go through the whole resume, yeah. but the journey to kind of bring you to the point where you're interested in this idea of artificial intelligence and ethics and interaction between people and digital sure. uh, <laughs> digital <laughs> intelligence. <laughs>
1: Um, so I'm not going to go way back. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start where you started, which is uh, when I studied at the University of Berkeley. Um, I moved there, my family moved there from Hong Kong. And so I was um, interested in psychology because I was interested in consumer behavior. I was very interested in marketing.
0: Sorry, just to interrupt, that's uh, University of California at Berkeley?
1: Berkeley, right?
0: yep. Yep. Just making a
1: So. Uh, so, I uh, was exploring that, but also exploring art history. And I was um, a wannabe writer, poet, and so I was writing haiku then. And so, after I graduated, I uh, really didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I joined a program with this John Tuan Sons, it's a, a general management program. Uh, so, I came back to Hong Kong with my friends, and it was a perfect program because it was a rotational three year program. First year, I was with the shipping industry, um, basically following a um, Korean um, shipper principal around to learn the ropes of the container shipping business. And then the second year, I was with the retail, with Reebok and Marathon Sports, uh, basically looking after retail stores, um, you know, way out in the, in the new territories. And then the third year, I was um, with, uh, back with Cafe Pacific. And so that was a very interesting um, experience for me looking at quality circles and so forth. Um, Then I realized that I didn't really like service business so much. I was really interested in um, technology and products. So I um, went for a job at Apple. I had no clue about what a computer is from a technical standpoint, but I was using a a Mac avidly as a, a drawing tool, as a writing tool. So, uh, for some reason, I guess they gave me the job because I was like clueless enough about technology. They wanted somebody in uh, uh, basically in Apple that really appreciates the use of the technology, not about the technology.
0: And just to yeah. give us our listeners of the timeline, that we're oh, at. Sure. where are we in terms of years or um, periods?
1: Uh, yeah, so I was um, in my 20s. It was like the 19th, early 1990. Hmm. So then I got recruited um, from the planning department to the product department. Um, so my first product was the uh, Newton Message Pack. <laughs> I think mean, I'm dating myself. Hey, <laughs> so that was a fascinating product because it was the first time ever that Apple got into the consumer business and the retail business because it's not being sold to school initially. It was in the retail stores. There was like zero retailers around Asia Pacific to sell any, you know, uh, mac or apple consumer products so we had to go and create new channels to negotiate with retailers about the space that we could get to you know um to display the new products and they, they don't know what to do with it <laughs> and and so i spent a number of years at apple learning the works of product marketing and really got to appreciate the the power of user experience to really focus on user experience first And then focus on, you know, channel marketing, product marketing. Because at the end of the day, you know, the user experience creates the magic. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is what Apple is really about. It's really not about technology so much because, I mean, Steve Jobs isn't from a technical background. Um, Internally, he's sort of the the customer from hell. (laughs) (laughs) He wants everything and the most impossible thing. And then he would throw that concept over to the engineering department and they have to figure it out. So that's the product development process. (laughs) So my last product um, at Apple was the iMac. And so that was interesting product because that was when Steve Jobs came back and that was his first product. Mm -hmm. So he was very much a very controlling person for the iMac. He was the one who specifying which angle to take the photo of the product you know where to place it in, in an ad we, we are not allowed to place the ad anywhere in the magazine except the back page <laughs> and so he was basically the product manager everything he was his hands were in everything so it was a, a great product because it was so much designed from the end user user experience standpoint uh, across many aspects every aspect of the product um, so after that there wasn't so it wasn't um so interesting anymore because, you know, then, the, okay, so after iMac, you know, I guess there are other the products. So I decided I was actually headhunted to the enterprise IT space by companies that were doing networking and products. So I spent about a decade within um, that space with progressive companies that were, that kept being acquired by bigger companies like Dell and Cisco. And then I um, got a calling, I got my first epiphany when I was actually riding a stationary bicycle in California fitness, <laughs> um, reading a business book and uh, watching, I think, CNN news, and then um, probably listening to some podcasts or something like that. It was like crazy. So I, I suddenly realized that I wasn't a very compassionate person. I, I didn't really care about people so much. I was just kind of climbing the corporate ladder. And then for some unknown reason, I just decided to quit my job. And then I went off to Thailand to and, um for a month and took the teacher's training uh, class for yoga. So that was sort of my, my first, like, weird <laughs> thing to do. And I came back and I became a, a yoga teacher. And then later on, I became a volunteer yoga teacher at the studio that I was studying at, mostly because I wanted to learn more from the yoga teacher. And the best way to learn from him is to actually you know, long-term <laughs> to teach him, and I get to spend a lot of time with him. So it was a very interesting experience because the yoga studio was one of the favorite studios for lawyers and bankers. So they come in you know, all stressed out, and you could just tell the difference um, when they leave the studio. So that was very inspiring. So the yoga teacher one time gave me a book Called the Diamond Kata. so it's a book about this person who graduated from Princeton, then ran off to India, and to study Geshe to be a Geshe, which means sort of like a PhD of Buddhism. So he was very happily like meditating with his Lama, and one day his teacher, his Lama teacher, told him that you don't belong here; you belong back in New York, and to spread the words of Buddhism within this. And so he was very unwilling, you know, he had a really good time over there, mm-hmm. <laughs> chilling out. Um, so he decided, yes, okay, so he needs to listen to Islam. So he came back to New York, um, basically joined a um, jewelry company, and then used everything that he's learned in Buddhism to build that company into like a pretty big and successful company. And he wrote a book about it. So the book is really about how Buddhism and business are not separate realms. So, you know, it's actually complementary because business is about being able to uh, procure resources, use the resource in a very logical way, and implementing implementing things. And Buddhism provides the framework, the ethical framework, and the vision to implement the right thing. So uh, he wrote this book, and there was a chapter in there that says 42 business problems and how to solve them. So, you know, I, I, I read it because that was like a very, very practical thing, right? So, the, the first one was like uh, your company needs capital in- injection to buy new machinery. So, what do you do? You need cash, you need to go out and get investors. What do you do? So, the answer to that is to give away money. And wow. I'm like, okay, <laughs> this is going to be so hard. <laughs> so, I went through that book, uh, I learned a lot of things that are counterintuitive. You know, in business, you're taught that you are you control your destiny, so you set goals and you basically have you know put put in steps to achieve your goal. I, I mean Buddhism doesn't say that you can just sit there and meditate and not do anything. It says of course you have to have goals, of course you have to be expending the right effort, but it's the expectation that's different. You cannot always expect everything that you do would have a return. And so I guess that really changed my perspective. Because I used to think that, oh, Buddhism, religion, just gets people to just sit around and not really do much it. But it's not that way at all. You really have to expand the right effort, and it has to come from yourself. It's not coming from external. So that was um, a great eye-opening experience for me.
0: So you've had a, you know, the early, I guess, career part of your yeah. journey, very interesting, sort of coming from a psychology background, but then going into technology, sort of early days, you could say, of I guess computers and networking and um, networking equipment. Yep. And then you realized there was perhaps um, something about yourself and people you wanted to learn more and explore mm-hmm. via Buddhism and yoga. So take us now, then, sort of from that period of Jean Lim to, um, I guess, the next step would be Hanson Robotics, sure. which is where I think a lot of people might be familiar with yeah. with the work that you did. Sure, okay.
1: Yes, so actually there's a second epiphany in between that. So one day, I just, it's, it's one of those things, I suddenly realized I needed to go and learn energy medicine.
0: Energy medicine. Energy medicine.
1: So I went off to the US, to Sausalito. For those of you who know Sausalito, it's like a really <laughs> vibrant place for alternative medicine and all alternative um, philosophy. And so I um, studied that um, with a teacher who was the founder of a Meditation Academy. Uh, she also founded a university to teach energy medicine. And a lot of his teachers were um, actually Western scientists and doctors. They're educated that way. And they just realized at some point in their career that you know, uh, materialism is not the answer. And therefore, they kind of move over to the alternative medicine part. So basically, the university is um, putting out research papers and using science to validate a lot of the things that you actually discover in the meditation academy. So that was um, a really big eye-opening experience for me. And it actually explained a lot of things that I was not able to explain to myself when I was growing up. Um, So it it was just the best learning experience. So I came back and then I um, decided to quit corporate life and go into angel investing. So I was a small angel investor of very early stage startups that's the stage when they call it the like three Fs, like um, friends, family, and fools. <laughs> <laughs> so I was mostly basically the fool. <laughs> so I invested in a dozen startups. And uh, one of the startups was also invested by a board member of Hanson Robotics. So we meet up and talked about the startup. And then he said, Oh, um, are you interested in working for a robotic startup? It's really interesting. If it were me, 30 years ago, I'd be interested. And I said, oh, it sounds like a really hard work. If 20 years ago, I'd be interested. He said, what do you mean? You have to meet David Hansen. So he brought me to uh, David Hansen, and it was at an event, and David was carrying this half-body of a robot around And <laughs> so what is that? And so he, he talked to me about his dream for creating sentient robots, you know, since he was 14 years old. And so I, I got really hooked and, you know, David had the fairy dust. <laughs> and before I knew it, I joined the company as a full-time CMO, Chief Marketing Officer. And so my journey with Sophia then started from, from then on. <laughs> so um, as I talked about in the beginning, um,
0: I think many people, you know, Sophia um, is Probably one of the most famous robots, I'm, I'm sure it is the most famous robot in the world. Maybe you could tell us the other famous robots. Probably people know the name Sophia or Damage more than, than they sure. know about Hanson Robotics. Yeah. They may not know Hanson. And as chief marketing officer, you did a phenomenal job of getting um, Sophia knowledge about Sophia out into the world. So maybe, um, could we start a little bit with David sure. Hanson, who's the creator of, of the visionary behind Sophia. So what is the ultimate vision you know, he had mm-hmm. or has about Sophia and robots and robotics? And, and what stage are we now in this process? Sure. And where, where can we see it going? Okay.
1: So David is a fascinating person. Um, so he said he had this dream of creating um, super intelligent robots since he was 14 years old who, I use the word who because I worked at Hanson for four years, <laughs> who um, would be more intelligent than us and who would be able to solve a lot of the problems that we create as humans. And his purpose, as he told to me, of creating Sophia is to enable us to imagine what life would be like to live and work among a very human-like robot like Sophia. So he's imagining that Sophia would develop to a stage, both physically and mentally, that you could brush past her in a corridor and you wouldn't be able to tell that she is a robot. So that is the thing that he, he is going for. So AI is still at a relatively early, early stage of development. We're still talking about narrow AI, which you know the AI could win over a human in chess games and um, Go, go. and but the AI is still not able to achieve general intelligence like we do. So the difference is we could learn um, probably one shot, a few shots uh, of um, using few shot data and be able to extrapolate across many different domains. But for the AI, they need tons of data to learn something that is specific to that domain like being able to read patterns of uh, and, and recognize cancer cells, tumor cells. So they do those things very well, but they, they're not able to extrapolate. So this is the, the big challenge for AI scientists right now, is to be able to develop the intelligence that you put to see in the process.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this portion of the podcast. To access the entire podcast, and more high-quality analysis on Asia, please visit our website, reorientpodcast.com. That's one word, all lower caps, reorientpodcast.com.